You're listening to Ignite Your Success, a podcast that inspires fitness professionals to build a strong business that enables them to serve more people and engineer the lifestyle they desire. It's Brad Shepard here, and together with Jason Yabanowicz, we're best known for running Trainer HQ, a community of passionate and profit-hungry fitness business owners that make a massive difference in others' lives every day. Each episode will unpack for you exactly what's working and deliver best practice strategies so you can confidently grow your business and make a huge impact. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Ignite Your Ultimate Success podcast. I'm Brad Shepard from Trainer HQ, and today I'm very honored to be interviewing somebody who I've known in the fitness industry for many years, uh, not only an esteemed colleague, someone who I've seen uh, kick some massive goals, but also a really great friend of mine as well. So welcome, Mr. Tim West, to the podcast my friend mate thanks for having me mate it's great to have you along i'm um as i discussed in the intro uh i'm just like i got so much to unpack today um tim you 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 own you are the co-founder and also managing director of ubox a huge brand which is absolutely kicking goals um but what i want to do first is i probably want to backtrack a little bit and go back to your your days as a as a personal trainer kicking off as a as a humble pt um, so, mate, hit me with that part first. Well, mate, I'd come back from or, or come from a background of being a wannabe athlete to start with. And mm. I think a lot of PTs that you'd work with are, are of that mould. Yeah. And so, you know, realising you're not going to be a professional athlete and going into exercise science as a, as a way to stay connected mm. to sports. Yep. Um, that then led into being a personal trainer where I um, started to sort of earn money to, to pay for study. Um, working through through that model is where I met you originally. Yeah, so that, I won't what? tell the listeners how long ago <laughs> that was, mate. When you were the big dog at Veranda at, uh, at, at movements. movements at Veranda, that was a great gym, wasn't it? It in was good, there. Yeah. So there's a, there's a, and still pumping twos today is a, yeah. a great gym. So, mate, yeah, I reckon we would have been full well over twenty years ago. Hey, it's well over yeah, 20 probably twenty five ish. So, yeah, quite a while ago. That's right. And you kicked off as a trainer. Yeah, that's right. So, yep. um, yeah. But I always train people with the same sort of sports mentality. I always, you know, wanted to focus on sports science, not bro science. And yeah. that was probably the hallmark of, uh, of what I did as a trainer. Yeah, love it, man, love it. And then um, from there, you didn't just stay in, in one gym. You started to, uh, you know, to sort of branch out, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Different gyms and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, between fitness first and, and good life and then ultimately investing in jets. Yeah, so, um, so from you, like, how, how long did you spend as an a- actual PT? You know, I guess effectively in many ways, you know, turning up and, and, and training people and, and doing the whole exchange of time for money and so forth. Mate, I was I was doing it from probably two thousand, uh, sorry, ninety nine. Yep. Yeah. Uh, through to two thousand eight. Okay. So, but yeah, that was so that was here. Yep. Uh, in the UK, in Scotland, uh, sorry, in England, in Scotland, and in in Canada. Yeah, wow. So you you uh, you went like did the whole traveling sort of holiday part, did you? Or yeah, what? correct. Yeah, and then sort of bookended that with with fitness. Yeah, great. And so almost ten years in the game, and then so jumped to it. Then somehow you found yourself in a position where you're able to purchase, you know, your first gym. 
being the being the first Jets, which yeah. and that happened in around about that time, was it? Around about yeah, yeah, that's right. Two thousand seven, uh, Brendan had had launched a sort of concept store, mm. and one of our mutual friends, uh, again from movements and from study, had. Uh, had purchased the first one in Palm Beach. Yeah. And so we took the first Brisbane clubs, which were the second, third and fourth clubs in the country. Wow. So this is the Jets, the early days of Jets. Early days yep. of 24 hour. See, the hardest thing about selling a membership yeah. was convincing people that we were actually going to let them train 24 hours. Yeah. Wow. Oh, no. I remember those days. I, I, me- I remember being a PT myself and I remember training clients right through till like the gyms would shut at, say, 9 o'clock at night. Mm. And I remember saying to the the gym owner of Fitzone, which is a gym you'd know in yeah, in, yeah. Um, in Fortitude Valley there, which I PT'd from for many years, I remember saying to the gym owner, they're shutting out the lights. I'm, I'm training my last client. They're doing their last yeah, set of yeah. tricep pushdowns, whatever. And I'd be going, geez, I, I wish they had 24-hour gyms because I'd keep booking clients the whole time. <laughs> exactly. And so we'd get keys from the owners and, and let ourselves <laughs> Do out, all that stuff. Yeah, and to make up for that, yeah. So the, the original, so Jets was one of the original 24-hour facilities here in Australia, correct? Well, it was the... Original, the original, open, the, the first, first to, to open and to start franchising. And you guys had what number of that? Uh, well, after the pilot, we had we had ultimately number two, the first one in Brisbane. Wow! And then uh, I think number three and number five with and the Ashgrove and Lutwich. That's amazing, and that was built on a, a reasonably small footprint. Is that is that correct? Yeah, the yeah. original one was about 170 square meters, so yeah. tiny in comparison to uh, to what they get to now. Yeah. And um, how did you do it? Like, I guess the question is, because we have a lot of, you know, personal trainers and fitness professionals who, who aspire to one time go, hey, I'd, I'd love to, you know, maybe own my own gym or, or take that step. How do, how do you go from being PT into that next, how, how did you do it anyway? Well, I think one thing that all PTs start to realise is that there's payment in terms of cash and then there's payment in terms of contacts mm. and relationships and i think pts have a unique relationship with their clients and 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 with the the network itself so you know my first gym jets was funded with uh with capital from two others yep two business partners yeah and my sweat equity yeah gotcha so i was young enough to want to dedicate time and effort you were hungry and hungry enough yeah and to find those investing partners mm. uh, and then the second and third was built off the cash flow of the first so mm. it was important to me to get off to a really good start with that first club yeah and with those contacts so they're people you'd met and um, they had the capital and so you were I guess savvy enough to go all right I'm going to have business partners here it's not it's not just me I can't I can't do it all myself because obviously you've got the you got the like you had the energy you had the talent and so forth. Mm. But it was like let's find someone who I can go in with together. Yeah, correct. And I was really fortunate to find two people with really complementary skills. So mm. one of them was a, an ex PDI for special forces. Yep. Who'd then gone into cruise ships, so he was out of the country. And the other was actually one of my first employers in fitness who had as well gone out of the country, and mm. so. Uh, they weren't physically here. Yep. It was a great opportunity I wanted to take advantage of. Yep. For I you to step up. And I was happy to burn the time. Wow. Sweat equity. And how long between opening the first one did it that enabled you guys to open your right. second one? It was rapid. So we <laughs> did we did the uh, second one in eight months and then we'd open three by 13 months. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. So three jets and I'm, I'm well aware of the clubs. I've, I've been there. They're in Brisbane. At some point in time, you guys turned around and sold those. So what, how, how did that all come about? What was, what was the decision there? And how long had you had them for when you, when you came to that? That decision, mate. We'd had them under three years, mm. and uh, I had a sort of mental tipping point. So, 
I knew that supply and demand was going to drive the value of the clubs. Mm. And so the moment that they stopped selling franchise in Brisbane, we put all three on the market. Mm, gotcha. And, and, and that's how we achieved the So quite a strategic move. Yeah, Go not on. emotional, pretty yep. strategic. Yes. And at the time, I remember back then when, when Jets was kicking off and it was starting to grow, I remember there was a, a, a much smaller and unknown brand then called Anytime Fitness, <laughs> which, was, uh, which was emerging. I remember somebody telling me at the time, they're saying, oh, well, I don't really see Anytime turning into much in this country. Mo- mm-hmm. There's about four locations and they're mostly mm-hmm. regional. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, those of you who are listening would know they're, they're quite the dominant brand. I've got no idea how many Anytimes. You probably know. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think it's it's in the the region of five hundred. Five hundred odd any times currently. Um, yeah, so that's incredible. So strategic move, all right. So loving the story thus far. So sold that. Now I, I imagine you would have sold that for a, a profit, and you know yep. it would have put you the three of you into a strong position. You then moved into the next venture. Yeah, that's right. So we we realised pretty quickly that uh, personal trainers on on a whole uh, were not great at collecting funds. Mm. Uh, they were particularly bad at collecting them for no-shows. Yep. <laughs> and so we built a, a system that got you to pay seven days in advance on a recurring billing. Mm. And then the booking was managed. And after the booking timestamp, both the trainer and the member confirmed the session was provided, releasing the funds. Mm. If it wasn't confirmed by the client, um, then there was a process to... To, to work out whether the trainer provided their half yep. and the funds were released to the trainer then. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was all uh, well uh, scripted out, well managed. I remember catching up with you at the mm. time. You ran me through the whole model mm. um, and uh, you guys spent, you know, time, energy and effort building that. Yeah, that's um, right. But you didn't stay with that business. No, no. <laughs> it's one of those uh, lessons in the journey sort of story, if yeah. you like. So, you know, building software product when you're not from tech yeah, um, was obviously – expensive and it was a challenge mm. we got to the point of launching and had burnt all the cash in order to market it yeah but on the silver lining uh the the developers for easy client which is what it was called at the time mm. the developers uh pitched a product that they were building themselves which the three of us decided to seed fund and it's now a two billion dollar company. Oh wow! <laughs> so, so the silver lining yeah. in, in, a, in a essentially a failed business experience yeah. was a lot of experience in tech and payments, yeah, which has helped us a lot in, mm. in where we are now. But also uh, an investment that was a bit of a sleeper, <laughs> which has uh, has ended up being a good one. So, and and just back to that because I do remember we caught up and we had that chat. I remember you telling me about just running some rough numbers on. Mm. Here's what I'm paying developers, mm. and here's what mm. I'm paying techies. I remember my eyes almost popped out when you when you yep. told me some of the amounts that these people were getting paid. And you're yep. sure that highly skilled individuals and so forth. But I can see how you know all that there was all this uh, profit that you would have you have taken away from the sale of your businesses that uh, <laughs> that you would have been pretty happy with and you would have you would have seen that amount just decreasing um, yeah that was a very stressful part of it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can laugh about it now yeah, but it's better than crying uh how was it but how did you deal with that but that so that's the part i really find fascinating is that you know when you when you were in that um did you, w- w- were there moments where you were thinking oh my god this is this this is not looking great or was it always um, um, i know this thing's going to work out what what were some of the experiences that you had yeah absolutely so there was there was obviously times when we were incredibly confident because what we did know is that we knew our customer mm. and we knew that the problem existed and we knew that the problem was painful. You know, you're, you're, 
you get out of bed at four in the morning, you get to the gym by five or four thirty, and uh, your client doesn't show up. You text them and you call them, mm. and it's halfway through the session. You know they're not coming. Yeah, but you've got attention because to ask them for payment for that, you always feel the tension, the stress that maybe they'll cancel all up, <laughs> all over. <laughs> yep, yep. And so you know, th- there's that there's that pressure that all trainers feel where their time becomes devalued. So we knew that the, there was a pain and a friction that was worth a business. Yeah. solution and so that was we were really confident in and uh the business was successful in solving that problem mm. but it's a good lesson in you got a provision for the marketing of the product not just the build not just the build yeah yeah, yeah. so there is the terminology you know build it and they will come and mm. in that mm. instance it's like yeah well we built it we had the great product and so forth but the next part is yeah we, we need to get this thing to the market Obviously, that that led you into, um, if I understand correctly, um, the latest venture. Have I got that part of the timeline correct? Yeah, that's right. So um, after we exited in that model, uh, in that business rather, and then um, I was sitting there just going, well, you know, I've always made money in fitness. What's next? And what's next? (laughs) And, uh, and, And I really wanted to get back to how do I scale my particular format of training, which was skill based interval training and was function based strength and when you think about the period we still weren't fully in the functional strength model at the uh, uh, mainstream we had Mm. crossfit but we didn't have a lot of the functional Mm. and so you know when i looked at that and trying to piece that together how do i scale it i wasn't going to go back to pt Mm. because i'd been there i'd done that i'd already i'd already gone through the one-on-one process yep You've been um, there, don't, sorry for buttoning. Yeah, what, yeah. what what year was this? So we're talking we're talking the sort of formulation of the idea in 2014. To 2014, yeah, okay, yeah. So, so, so nine, f- nine years ago. Yeah, correct. Yep. The formulation, the back of napkin formulation of the idea. Yeah. We already had, you know, two or three years by that point of watching F45. Yep. Um, you know, whether you read the story, you know, into the story or not, they found it in about 2012. Yep. So <clears throat> we watched them. Um, in Sydney, we knew Orange Theory was in the US. Yep. We knew of uh, you know the history of curves. Mm. We knew of the history of nine round, um, the training model, and we just looked to grab the, the best aspects of those models and bring them together, and, and ultimately to scale my format of training. Mm. Um, and and you know, realise that boxing was underrepresented in the global commercial fitness market. Yeah. Unlike Boutique, which had already scaled to over 1,000, boxing's largest provider was 140. Mm. So there was a gap, even though every athlete I'd ever trained used boxing. Yeah. Every team I'd ever trained used boxing. And, and such just even for, for, for most fitness clients, I'd say that most personal yeah. trainers would have a set of uh, gloves and, and focus pads in, the, in their kit bag. And it's, yeah. a, it's a pretty pretty well-used piece of equipment. I know in our whole journey running a team of trainers, it was one of the most popular things that clients would do. Yeah. yeah, and it has that aspect of, you know, they're not really conscious that they're exercising. They're doing interval training, but they're not really thinking of it as interval training, mm. which, you know, which was why we knew there was a model because it's a tool in the toolkit of every fitness professional, be that an S&C coach for a professional team yep. or a trainer in the park, but it hadn't scaled. 
Mm. And that was the that was that was what I was looking at as a problem. So you came into it with a, a specific, if I understand correctly, specific criteria. Going okay, I, I just don't want something that's it's fun. Obviously, it's going to fit the technical part. Mm. But then you were looking for something that was highly scalable. Yeah, that's right. And and I think that the lesson from Jets being a franchisee in Jets was was you needed a product that was scalable, mm. and that wasn't uh, the, the the quality of the product could be consistent even if the staff had inconsistent levels of education and we're mm. talking clinical strength and conditioning. Yes. So, you know, I wanted to make sure that the model could scale, understanding that there was a limited number of ex-professional boxes mm. to staff the gyms. Mm. So how do, you, how do you find scale when there's a specific skill required to deliver it? Yes. That was sort of the, the more nuanced elements of the problem that we yep. were trying to solve. Yeah, yeah. And and how do, how were you able to do that mm. then? So basically, well, to start with, we centralised the programming. So mm. I put together a core group of, of strength and conditioning coaches, some that had worked in professional sports, like our COO, mm. who was with Crystal Palace in the EPL. Yeah. Um, and I had Brad, I mean, I had Danny sitting there on the, the professional boxing side. <laughs> And just, just for everyone's, if they haven't heard yeah. of, um, fill them in. Yeah, Danny. So, so, so Danny Green <laughs> is, a, is, is a four-time world champion boxer across multiple weight divisions. Yeah. He was probably, when we started, the preeminent boxer in Australia at the time. Yes. Uh, hasn't fought for, for a number of years, but his last fight was Roy Jones Jr. He did beat him. Yes. So yeah, <laughs> it's a good feather in the cap. So. And, and did you know Danny Green prior to this or did you reach out to him? How did, yeah. how did all this come about? Yeah, I, I guess that's the, the, the part of the story that, that might have been missed. So, you know, when I was putting this together, looking for partner investors again because I knew that was a formula for success. Yeah. I was also looking for critical review of the product. Mm. I didn't want to enter a market saying I've got an authentic boxing product, yep. being a very poor amateur boxer myself. <laughs> I didn't want to go in and, and, and say that, hey, you know, I'm, I'm hanging this on my boxing experience. It yep. wasn't that at all. Mm. It was how do I put something that met the sports science brief of specificity. Yep. We matched everything we could to a championship bout and the demands that a boxer would need to, to compete in that mm. and then i looked for confirmation and mm. a mutual friend who was an investor had introduced me to danny yeah and so i flew over to wa to help him launch a gym over there and as a bit of a trade yes. i ran the idea by him yeah and he just basically turned to her and said tim i'd love to be involved this is how i've trained my entire life yeah and that was the statement that we quoted in every article originally because yes. it was his belief in the product authenticity which actually made him invest full ticket no discount yep and then from then on he's been the head of boxing for you box i love it that's great and this um this all stems back to again um your connections right so and this came about from from being in the industry from from meeting different walks of people and you were able to get that introduction yeah correct and, and so from from that perspective so i guess you know i guess the big message i hear for for many fitness professionals is that in amongst your your book of clients and the people that you service in amongst there there's people who can open doors yeah <laughs> um and if if they're not maybe they know people and that and that list could go on and on yeah and i think it's the the that's what I, you know, you get paid with currency as a trainer for your time. Yeah. But what you do acquire is, is that contact list, that experience. Mm. If you think about the profile of a personal training client, certainly when Brad and I started, when it was far more exclusive. Yep. It was a far more sort of 
you know, a, a product that only the top socioeconomic or aspiring groups could could afford. That's right. When yeah, Brad still charges rates that only the top can afford now, <laughs> but uh, but but it really cr- took the cream off the top, if you yeah. like. So the people you were spending your time with, yeah, you were giving them the the, the health advice and support, yeah, and they were more than willing to give you the mentorship. I know Brad's had some cracking. You know, mentors as well, and, and yeah. as I have, and and that was the thing that is is the value you have to understand when you're a personal trainer and take advantage of. Mm. Yeah, such mm. such sound uh, advice, and yeah, agree one hundred percent. And although I haven't I hung up the lycra a couple of years ago, I haven't <laughs> had the privilege of, of doing all that. But um, yeah, it's great great memories. And speaking about it, takes me a lot down memory lane. Now you weren't called Ubox right from the beginning; you were mm. under a different name. Mm. So uh, tell us a bit about the the evolution of the start. So you kicked off. When did the well first of all, let's talk about when the first gym yep. actually physically opened, yep. uh, the name, and then what led us into the, the rebrand to Ubox. Yeah, uh, so the original pilot store opened in Tuong in 2015. 2015, I remember it. Uh, and, yep. um, and that was operated for just under 12 months. And it was operated so that I fully understood the systems required to operate it if I wasn't the operator. And yep. so I spent that entire time... When I came up with a problem, solving it, yep. systemizing it. Running classes yourself, yeah, yeah. all that. <clears throat> I was yeah, opening, ba- closing. Ba- back on the tools. Back yep. on the tools, big yep. time. Yep. And uh, I realized that I was someone who operated on an instinctual level. Mm. And so one of the first you know, hires that I made was, was Jonah, who, who came over from England, ex-EPL strength and conditioning coach, as I yeah. mentioned. Yeah. And one thing we became aware of is that he was very organized yes and i was very disorganized <laughs> and i did things out of instinct Cre- creative, yeah, might be creative. The i did things out of instinct yeah. where jonah liked to have a system to very systems that. And, and process and so we worked well together because as i would do something he would interrogate me and yeah. then we would create the system yes and that's where the the, the first sort of nine months was spent um now the first 17 franchises were sold to members or friends of members yeah family or friends of that first club love it right and so yeah. so uh, peep, peep, again once again there would have been people in your circle going when you that you spoke about and they may have said hey i want in on this because i know yeah. what what i've seen yeah. and yeah and, and advocacy was the driver for growth i wasn't doing any marketing i was i was only growing from referrals um in the club, I wasn't doing any marketing because I didn't know what we had. Yeah. I didn't know what the product was, so I couldn't describe it. Yeah. Um, so it was all just referral based and and grew very quickly. Mm. Um, I opened a second pilot in Milton, and then we franchised in 2016, 2016. towards the end, mid middle to end. Um, and from then on, um, you know, it was really rapid growth. And um, if I if I just reflect back to that that time of, of the opening of the first club. Was there ever a time in, in that period, like, did you know that you were going to um, open a bucket load of these or was there ever a time when you thought, hey, this could be it, um, hey, and if I've only got one, that'll be fine or were you 100% going for it no matter what? Like, what was it? Yeah, I was, I was all in. I think the yeah. most common thing anyone heard me say was if I was going to fail, I was going to fail fast <laughs> because it was, it was the, the, the long, drawn-out process of developing the tech yeah. had taught me that 
you kind of need to, to to force these things to fail or thrive. There's no in-between yep. in a startup. Yep. It's either you're moving so fast, you're breaking shit, or you're just not going hard enough. Yes. Yep. Um, so that was sort of a commitment. I told the shareholders I'm going to burn everything in order to get this to work. Mm. Two clubs in the first you know, six months to Wong and Milton and franchising it uh, within 12 months yeah. was just that rapid. I kind of knew what I wanted to do. Yep. But I thought 10 clubs, you know, realistically. Yeah. I thought the goal should be 10 clubs 10. at the start. Yeah. And then my friend Brendan Levinson, the owner of Jets, had said, no franchise makes money till 40 clubs. So 40 <laughs> clubs was the next target. <laughs> I remember in, uh, someone told me in franchising that I was always uh, four or 40. So yeah, if, yeah, you wanna, exactly. if you want to stay small, like, you know, three or four happy days, you know. Yeah, but if you want to go for it, you want to make some serious money, 40 plus, uh, because then you've got to have your own internals in terms of your, your own internal accounting, all, all the rest of it, and the list goes on. How many does Ubox stand at today? So Ubox has um, 88 open, 17 in pre-sales and under, uh, you know, sourcing sites pre-sales. Um, it then has another... Sorry for button. Yeah, 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 you're right, you're right, you're right. <laughs> That's in Australia? Only. Yeah, yeah, Australia, yeah. Singapore, New Zealand. Yep. Because uh, we opened international clubs in, in 2019. Yes, um, and so there's about 110, if you like, yep. um, that are that are either open or in pre-sales. Love it. And then there's uh, a further 415 or so under master franchise contracts um, globally. Wow, that's incredible, man. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, and how does it feel sitting here now, eight years down the track from 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 kicking that off? Like, what's what's the feeling you got? Look, I, I think that. It always feels, as a founder, um, particularly of a startup and a rapid growing one, you're always putting more money in than you're taking out. Mm. You know? So I actually don't feel comfortable with. I never feel like it's there. It's not done. Yep. And um, and so I always have that edge of anxiety, which drives me all the time because, mm. you know, we we invest heavily. I want to achieve something really big. My first goal is to become the largest boxing community in the world ever. Yeah. Um, and so we expect to hit that next year. Um, and so I'm always being driven, feels like I've got the guns at my back. Yep. And I never quite feel comfortable, so the throttle's never... <laughs> I never let go of that. But You've also got youth on your side, brother. So. <laughs> well, a, a little bit more than you, but not that much, man. Mate, you, 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 you're looking pretty good, mate. I just, you know, <laughs> so, those yeah. of you who are listening yeah. in, you can't see him, but he's a, he's a, he's yeah. a very dapper-looking yeah, individual, yeah, yeah, this guy. Sure. You know, in so. a T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, mate, that's fantastic. Now, tell us a bit about the international part because, and, and this is the part where, where, you know, I don't really uh, fully understand uh, how that would work, but you've sold, if I understand correctly, the, the rights for, for someone to build that business internationally? Uh, yeah, and, and so... Franchises grow in one of three ways. Mm. They grow in direct entry, which is what we do in New Zealand, Singapore and Australia, and that is where you own the market. Yep. Then they grow through master franchise agreements, which is when uh, another party who has particular local strengths mm. um, takes the licence yep. and they grow that region with your support and infrastructure. Yes. And then there's an area developer, which is just like a sales team, sales mm. and management team on the ground that's separate entity yeah. so we choose to go in directly or under master franchise agreements yeah. now we actually we actually started to expand directly into the uk pre-covid so we had a lease in twickenham train station 
and that was meant to be opened early 2020 before yeah, well. the world ended. Mm. And there, you know, we, we fortunately didn't get into the, the state of having to open that, but we realised without any conscious knowledge of how long COVID was going to go for, we needed to pivot. It's a very trendy word. Oh, uh, yeah. I hesitate, I hesitate to say it. <laughs> but we had to go from direct entry into master franchise. We were fortunate to find fantastic partners over there in, in, in Empowered Brands who already had 100 health clubs yes. in the UK under yeah. the energy brand. Yeah, so that was that was our first really big change of strategy, yes. and it was the first really big deal of two hundred and fifty clubs in England, yes, and ten in Ireland. Oh wow, that's amazing! It's incredible. And hey, back to the COVID thing, what a time to be alive, hey, for yeah. for anybody. But like for you in a growth business where you're putting it all on the line, you're opening clubs, all that sort of stuff. Um, geez, I imagine that um, you guys, uh, you personally, um, head office. All the people that had clubs, you know, there, there, it would have been a, a very challenging time, I imagine. Yeah, and I, I don't think this is a new story for anyone. I mean, mm. the food and beverage and fitness were most affected. Yeah. Uh, fitness probably probably one of the worst. Mm. Um, and so for us, it was we went into 2020 and we were opening a club every week mm. in 2019. Mm. And then all of a sudden to have a full stop yeah. put on your business. Wow. Um, and we had opened a lot of our pipeline pre 2020 so you know from that point of view we were open and trading so fully exposed yeah. so the the situation was pretty traumatic yeah for the network uh themselves the clubs themselves and us obviously so yes. you know we just had to to find a way to continue to support the members and uh, we we turned to technology so yes. it went full circle <laughs> you know two days after the lockdown we released our train on demand app which yes. was which was how we supported the members yep. along with zoom so Lo- pretty it. traumatic yeah, man. Um, but on the back end of that, if I understand correctly, that's where you've experienced the most now growth and your, your master franchise agreements and yeah. so forth. Yeah. yeah so, <clears throat> so from an overall story, I think that the, that it forced us to look at the strategy and assess its speed of growth when you have to build that team in every region. Yeah. It's much slower. Yes. Uh, you own yep. it, but it's much slower. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, you have to weigh up whether your cost benefit, whether you can grow quicker by by partnering and taking less overall but yeah. of a bigger pie. Yeah. Love it. Well, I guess, you know, the, the the beauty is that you do have, you know, this model, if I understand correctly, you've got the best of both worlds. Um, you've got people that directly come. Now, I also see it, Ubox um, as a model, like, again, when I speak about a lot of our typical clients here who might be looking to make that next step, okay, I'm, 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 I've been a great personal trainer maybe i've started to grow a team maybe i'm starting to to you know make some more money i've, I've got a whole bunch of things happening but i do want my on my own facility um, i see um, correct me if i'm wrong the barrier to entry to be you know reasonably um, accessible for somebody <coughs> yeah, if they wanted to have their own u-box yeah i would say that it's the lowest of yeah. of the the boutique providers in terms of capex and, and that comes from the strength that boxing gear is not particularly expensive yeah yeah you know and it's it's not plugged into the yeah. wall and just so we're on the same page capex for everybody you know it's yeah, just like so hey you're not going to have to shell out huge amounts of money yeah, it, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's between sort of 220 and 250 all in yeah. um which is is you know up to you know 30 to 50 percent of some of the competitors so yes. yeah much lower capex mm. which a lot of people have opted to open mul- multiple clubs because of that, yes, uh, and do it in a sort of uh, a, a more gradual way. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, that's my, again my observation is is that you know for, for the for the right individual, like I see it as definitely a um, a stepping stone for them, or you know an opportunity to grow not one but many. So now uh, back to the branding part because mm. you you were yeah previously under another brand, we went through a brand change here at Trainer HQ for you know for the better part of you know twelve odd years we were called Create PT Wealth, and that was I guess how we saw it. Okay, when we first started, what do we want to do? Well, we want to help PTs generate more wealth, and, and wealth comes in many currencies not only monetary but lifestyle and so forth and then when we reassess that what we what we found is that you know from our perspective we're a, a, a community of people that come together uh, and that was probably the biggest feedback that we got um, we felt like we wanted to be known as the as the main uh, platform for trainers to tune into um, hence um, it started with a, a logo change mm -hmm. and ended up with a full name and a brand change and the funny thing on the back end of that is um here in Australia, number one, what we what we would probably say is that not many people that want to walk around with a with a shirt that says, "Hey, um, you know, hey, gain wealth on it," you know, because I I might look like a bit of a wanker or something like that, you know, and and, and consequently, what we found is people go, "Fuck that new logo, that brand, that looks awesome," you know, yeah. they really gravitated towards it, and so that was further proof for us. Okay, you guys have done the right thing with this rebrand. Yeah. You guys also did the same thing. What's the what was the story behind that? Yeah, I, I guess. The story comes in two parts, and I'll, I'll keep it brief. But when we first opened, we did the same thing. We had 12 rounds, ultimately. So the logical name was 12 rounds. Yeah. And in my own insular world, I knew that a championship fight was 12 rounds. Yes. Whereas a professional fight can be six to eight. Yeah, you can go up to ten. Yeah. But a professional fight, uh, a, a title belt fight is 12 rounds. Yes. Not common knowledge. No, I didn't, I didn't <laughs> know that so, either. <laughs> so, so where I thought there was an obvious connection to boxing that was innate in the name, yeah. it turns out not for the general public and not even for the fitness profession. Yeah. And so what was clear was when we did the testing, it was clear that people understood that 12 rounds was a circuit workout. Yeah. But they didn't understand that it was boxing. Yeah, And wow. so it took extensive market research to, to, to find that out. We interviewed people that had come in as, as uh, trials and, and members, mm. people that had never inquired as a member and asked them to you know, innately tell us what they understood of the brand. <clears throat> it was very clear there was a big gap. Given that we were the most differentiated product <clears throat> and we were boxing, but no one instinctively saw boxing, mm. there was a problem. The other issue was that there's a prominent brand in the US that we all know about called Nine Round, and it was one of my inspirations. Now, as soon as we started to, to dominate the market here with nine round in it, yeah. we dominated them to about five to one in terms of sales and openings. Yeah. When we started to register the name internationally, they jumped on it. Gotcha. gotcha. And so we, we needed both because we needed to solve a problem with the brand, yeah. but we also needed to function practically, we needed to expand and yes. we couldn't register the the twelve round name internationally, and so we came up with a, a different name that yeah. was much clearer in Ubox, yeah. and with boxing and strength written under it. Just if there's <laughs> any doubt that it's that it's a boxing and functional strength product. Yes. So we wanted to make it explicit. Yep. Uh, so that there was just no no doubt. Love it, love it, and and I love it. You know the couple of reasons I love it. In my opinion, it, it, it's very clear, simple, uh, effective. What's been the response about across the board? Yeah, it's been very, very strong. Mm. Um, so um, in terms of the international story, none of the international opportunities would have come about mm. 
if we were operating the two brands because you can understand there's a disconnect, right? You've got you got 60 clubs in Australia under 12, 12 round, round and you've got one club in New Zealand and one club in Singapore as U-Box yeah. and you're trying to sell a master franchise in England for U-Box. <laughs> They're saying, can't we have 12 round yeah. given it's more prominent? Yep. So the, the rebrand made sense from that point of view as well. So, you know, everything was lining up that mm. it, it better explained the product um, so we thought that had better cut through. Yeah. It's a slicker, sharper brand. So yeah. We thought it would be better and more likely to be worn on apparel. Mm. Um, and also it tidied up the international story to facilitate the growth. So it's those so things needed to line up. Love it. Now, you speak internationally about opportunities and, and one big one you were telling me about just before we, we tuned into this was uh, a connection to the movie Creed. Yeah. Pretty got me pretty juiced just hearing about it. So tell us a story about that. How did that all come about? Yeah, well, again, so uh, in November I got approached from uh, Warner Brothers and Universal mm. and, and the approach there was, look, we're looking for a brand partner for the movie Creed. Now, obviously, I thought it was a joke <laughs> to start with, but, but it was legit. Yeah, and and so they it's were looking. Da- not a bad group to be approached by. Yeah, is it? yeah, world's biggest boxing franchise, and we were aspiring to be the world's largest boxing community. So yes. that kind of made sense. So they they sort of looked at the international market. Yeah, and they'd worked out that we were the second largest in the world. Yeah, and they thought that the the look and feel and the training modality and style matched what the uh, the team were looking to partner with. Yeah, so we put in a, a, a proposal to them. And we were successful. I mean, that negotiation was from November through to early January mm. with a kickoff date at the start of Feb. So oh, it was wow. obviously uh, a pretty rushed process. But yeah. to partner with Warner Brothers, be the official brand partner for Creed, uh, really does start to elevate the brand and, and, and just show that with the consolidated network now under the one brand, it really is being recognised globally for what it is, which is the second largest boxing provider. Fantastic. I love it. I love the story. And, and again, more importantly, it comes back to, uh, you know, contacts, uh, connections, but also um, being congruent with the brand, being congruent with congruent everything. The, the, the model that you put together from day one as, as, as you know, that's the, the ingredients for success in a, in a, in a business like this. So, um, and that's why you've got these type of people knocking on your door. So Yeah, and, and, and to further substantiate that, um, Michael B. Jordan, the the main actor in Creed. Yeah. Um, their team pretty fixated on training. If you look at the two rigs. He goes all right, doesn't he? They go all right. Even <laughs> say so myself. Uh, and so with the, the workout like Creed program, we had an opportunity to do an outdoor activation in club workout where we got access to their licensed content yeah. to pump it in. So it was an immersive experience. Wow. Now that designing that program with the team from Warner Brothers there was almost no changes from yeah. the program that we put forward, which all it did was reflect the training montage wow. that was made available. That's cool. But because the training was so similar to the kind of training that boxers use, it felt authentic to them as well. Yeah. And so they jumped on it. We designed an at- outside workout, an at-home workout, and a workout for the in-gym. So, you know, pretty cool experience to work with, with that calibre of, of team as well. Super cool. Love it. And I love it just how on so many levels how it's, um, you know, just ties in and, and you know, assists you in your, your mission, your journey, you know, to be able to impact more people. All right, let's, um, let's just circle back a little bit now and talk about, you know, again, uh, trainers, people, you know, you obviously see a lot of them. 
um, you know, what's your observation? 2023 of the fitness industry and, you know, if people are aspiring to, to want to open their own facility or, or you know, follow your type of path, you know, what might be one or two or a couple of things that you might suggest that people could do in this process? Yeah, I, I think that with all trainers, my advice would be, and, and having been one for so long, is to look at those constant opportunities for growth. Mm. And I was talking to Brad Harrington, sounds like a name drop, but he's a strength and conditioning coach for the Wallabies. Yes. Now he's come on board as our head of strength to mm. compliment Danny, and he now oversees all of the, the training program. And one of the bits of advice that he gave at a recent summit to the trainers there was always be working on your toolkit. So you have a toolkit and everyone mm. has different tools in it. Yep. But if they're not constantly working on their craft, mm. their interpersonal skills, their sales skills, mm. their training skills, yep. you know, their, their theoretical skills, um, you know, their education, yep. being thirsty, hungry, and so that you're always in an, a position to make the most of the opportunities that inevitably always come past, mm. we're either prepared for them or not. And so, you know, we're always sort of talking to trainers and in my life experience of, of training large groups of trainers like I did at Good Life was, and, and at Jets, is that always be working on your craft, mm. rounding out your skill set, developing your skill set because you just never know when that next opportunity. Now, that opportunity goes in many ways. It could be partnering with an investor to open a boutique. Yeah. It could be opening a 24-hour gym. It could be... You know, it could be just scaling up your PT business to have people working for you, like yes. you know Brad's original business. So yeah, you know, it could be it could be any of those avenues. But the one thing that's for sure is if you're not continually developing, mm. then you're not going to be prepared for the opportunity, and it's going to miss you're going to miss it anyway. Love it, such a such a powerful uh, piece of advice, and and for us at Trainer HQ, something we heavily promote is we almost view it like a triangle. It's it's go. You've got your personal growth, your personal development, which is the part that you need to, to focus on. You've got the technical skills, your craft, uh, and then, of course, you've got the running of the business. You yeah. know, and you want to have that, that beautiful harmony between the three of those things, and that's what's going to create the success. And the second part to that is that what well, we've observed is that when you are putting in the work, suddenly those opportunities pop up, right? <laughs> uh, you know, the, the harder I work, the, more, the luckier I get, yeah. <laughs> I think is the quote there, you know. And it just happens. We just see it across the board. I've seen it in my own businesses for many years. And, and, it, and you might be putting in the effort in one particular area and then the opportunity comes totally left field, you know. We call it in here the expected and the unexpected. So every month we have the expected and then we've got the unexpected and quite often it can hit you from left field, but it can be a very good hit you from left field. Like Warner Brothers, you probably weren't sitting there. Yeah, it wasn't. That was not, that was not expected, right? No, that's exactly right. Totally yeah. left field. So much so I thought it was a joke to start <laughs> with. Um, but yeah, it is, it is just that. Yeah. Always be prepared. Yeah. Love it, man. Uh, that I'm, I'm just so so proud of, of your effort too and of all the years that I've known you and watching your, your growth and your evolution. Um, and, and every time I speak to you, you know, we get to run into each other um, over the years, um, personally, uh, also professionally many years. And um, just to watch the journey and watch the growth, I always get pumped up. So I, I, I believe I get as much out of this as people listening to this do. So, mate, I want to say a huge thank you for giving up your very valuable time to come in here. 
Mate, thank you. And thanks for your support always. Yeah. Uh, mentorship and, and support as well, mate. So yeah. really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed listening to the uh, amazing success story of Mr. Tim West, who is the co-founder and managing director of Ubox. And uh, thanks for tuning in to our Ignite Your Ultimate Success podcast. Good, brother.